Our first reading is from Peter's letter to the early church, 1 Peter, chapter 3, beginning to verse, beginning to read at verse 13. And you'll find that in the Pew Bible in, on page 1219 and on the screen here. So 1 Peter 3, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes the baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a God conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 to 15, and can be found on page 1002 of your church Bibles. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was not a little surprised to see how many adults in, in, in front of me stood up to go out and be with Percy, but um, I apologize, I don't have any, any Percy. Let's pray. Father, we continue to pray for our children. We thank you for every one of them and their teachers. Inspire them this morning with the love of God in Jesus. And as we look into your word, grant us to hear what you would say to each one of us individually. For Jesus' name's sake, amen. <coughs> Mark has often been um, spoken of as the photographer of the first century. He was the gospel writer who went around taking little pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ and the disciples were what's going on <coughs> and he moves from story to story to story quite quickly and goes on through he leaves the evangelist John to add in a huge amount of the teaching that the Lord Jesus Christ gave and to Matthew and Luke fulfilling in the details with various of the stories and the miracles in particular but here, in just six of the verses that were read to us from the gospel just now, we read a huge amount of the coverage of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read about his baptism, how the Holy Spirit came visibly upon him, how a voice from heaven came proclaiming him to be God's loved Son. We read of Jesus' horrific time in the desert, being tempted by Satan. And we read of his cousin being put in prison. Then, in dramatically simple words, Mark goes on, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. Incredibly simple sentence introducing a profound truth. After all these <coughs> momentous occasions in the life of the Lord Jesus. Soon after Wendy and I came back with our family from East Africa, we settled near High Wycombe and I was playing with toys that British Airways allowed me to play with at Heathrow. We settled into a church fellowship there near High Wycombe, and the vicar at one stage for about six, seven years, and after we had left, was a chap called Dennis Shepherd. And you know, like most vicars and clergymen, he had set little phrases which he used to come down on again and again and again. And Dennis, one of Dennis's favorite sentences was this, Jesus is good news. 
And he would share this again and again and again at relevant moments when he was preaching or teaching the word of God. Jesus is good news. And I want us to take that little phrase up this morning and look at it in three ways. First, Jesus brought good news about a king. The time has come, he said, because God's promised king had come. Isn't she an angel? Thank you very much. I'm liable to want to leave for other reasons if I'm not careful. But thank you for that very much indeed. The coming of this king had caused an almighty stir <coughs> when he was born. In fact, we read that when Herod heard about it, he was disturbed and the whole of Jerusalem with him. Here is one born king of the Jews, the wise men had reported to Herod. And we read this, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And he was so disturbed that a short while afterwards he did everything to kill this slaughter, this little baby king. These words from Jesus at the very start of his ministry are claiming that he, Jesus, is God's promised king. Remember those magnificent words in John's Gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and Word was with God, and the Word was God. And a little later on we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. John was saying in his language, the king has come. This baby who has shown himself to be the word of God became God incarnate amongst us. I have a very, very profound respect to the point of affection and love for our queen. Here is a woman who unashamedly stands up claiming to the world that her sovereignty is under the sovereignty of God. Twice in her Christmas message this last year, she referred not to God or providence or him in heaven, but to the Lord Jesus Christ by name. What a queen. Do please pray for her. God save the Queen. With a testimony like that, and our nation's government sadly under her leadership, drawing us more and more and more away from the things of God, passing laws that are heinously against the word of God, she stands firm. Pray for her. What a queen. But Jesus came as king. And in the first few chapters of Mark's gospel, which is before us at the moment, we learn that this king had authority in at least five different ways. First, 
He had the power and authority to preach. We see that in our reading this morning. There he was, preaching to the people. And in verse 21, <coughs> we read on again. They went to Capernaum with his disciples. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue to preach. And the people were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. They were so used to a sickening bunk bunch of religious hypocrites who preached one thing and lived another. And they all, without exception, had to refer back to Rabbi so-and-so or Rabbi somewhere else. Jesus said, <coughs> but I tell you. Again and again and again, he spoke with authority. Secondly, Jesus had power and authority over sickness. A little later in the same chapter that was read to us, <coughs> we read he went into the home of Peter and healed Peter's mother-in-law. Then we read this. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many. There would have been hundreds in that crowd to have told you that actually didn't happen if it were not true. Thirdly, Jesus had power and authority over nature. They'd had a very, very busy day all day as described in the fourth chapter of Mark's Gospel. And at the end of it, Jesus tells the disciples to go and get into the boat. And he gets into the boat with him. And a furious squall arrives. And these guys, were, well, they knew exactly what the lake was and what it held. And with just three words. Quiet! Be still! In fact, I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't need to shout. And immediately, the wind died down and it was completely calm. Then we read the disciples were terrified, not of the storm, but who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, we know. Because Mark has told us he was the king. He had authority to preach. He had authority over sickness. He had authority over nature. He had authority over death. A couple of chapters later on, he goes into the home where a little girl, age 12, has died. <coughs> Do you know what he says to her? I think it's lovely. Little girl, get up. And we read, she got up and she walked around amongst them, brackets it says, and she was about 12 years of age. The first of three resurrections known to us in the gospel records. Lastly, amongst many other things, Jesus had power and authority to forgive sins. 
We learn in chapter 2 that when a paralytic man was brought to Jesus by four of his friends, you remember there was such a crowd, these four friends led him down through the roof and he landed at Jesus' feet. And the first thing that Jesus said to him, very sweetly I think, was, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Oh, didn't that arouse the anger and the fury of the religious leaders at the time? Who is this man? Only God can forgive sins. I think this is one of the very few times, um, Bible students, Chris, you can correct me, but I think this is one of the very few times that Jesus set out to prove his divinity. Because knowing their evil thoughts, he turned round to them and said, which is easier for the Son of Man on earth to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, <coughs> or pick up thy mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of God has power on earth. He said to this man, get up, take up your bed, man, and, and, and go on home. And staggeringly, he did. And they were all amazed. Truly, God's kingdom had arrived on earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He healed the sick, calmed the storms, and raised the dead. Two billion people today <coughs> claim to be followers of Jesus. Most universities have a department dedicated to studying his teachers. I don't know if any of you saw a program on television last night. It was called How We Got to Now, and it was an hour's program scientifically put across about time. I understood a good 20% of it, I think, and thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoy these scientific programs, which are, are way beyond my pathetic little minds to comprehend and understand. But both with that program last night <clears throat> and with so many nature programs, they forget three words. In the beginning, God. You want to learn about time and how it came about? Well, actually, it was he who said he called the day, the, the light day, and he called the night, the darkness night. God did it. I don't know how many millennia ago, that doesn't worry me. But the Bible says God did it. Thirdly, Jesus told us that the coming of the king was good news. He said that the kingdom of God was good news. And to me, the direct corollary out of this is what do you do with good news? You see, the good news demands a response. Repent and believe the good news. That's what Jesus said. To repent means to turn from my sin. By nature, you see, we're all, every one of us, are people who like to do our own thing in our own way. 
The Bible calls that sin, when we leave God out. It requires, as Jesus said, for us to repent and believe the good news. John, in his gospel, uses the word believe or a derivative 103 times, I am told. And every single one of them, less, I think it is only one, is a Greek word which is translated believe with a commitment. Now, please, put your hand up. Hands up anyone who came into church this morning and checked the four legs of your chair before you sat down. Put your hand up if you did that. You're all people of faith. Experience told you. Quick look around the church told you. And you came in and without another thought you sat down on that chair. My father was once going on a train to preach at a meeting in Liverpool from our hometown Eastbourne. And someone in the train, when we got, he got on to Eastbourne, it was one of those that went round the side of London and continued on all the way up. He said, excuse me, sir, do you know if this train's going to Liverpool? And Dad said, yeah, I'm going to Liverpool. And at every single station they stopped at, this man said, is this train going to Liverpool? He even wound down the window in the days when you could wind down windows. And he leaned out and he said to people on the platform, is this train going to Liverpool? That man had a slight lack of faith. Repent and believe with commitment. The good news. As the disciple Peter later wrote, the good news is that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Just a few verses before the gospel that was read to us this morning, we read of John the Baptist and his first words. John came, begin preaching in the desert, the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now I want to stop there just for a moment because there might be one person sitting in church this morning who's saying, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian quite a long time. I can well remember repenting of my sins over the years and, and, and so on. And therefore, I don't need this message. Let me remind you humbly, if I may, that John the Baptist was preaching to Jews part of God's chosen people. Jesus came proclaiming the good news of God to, by and large, Jewish people. John tells us he came unto his own and his own received him not, but to as many as received him gave he power to become the sons of God. So please, my dear friend, if you've been a Christian for 70 years or more, don't sit back and say, this doesn't apply to me. John the Baptist was preaching to what you and I might call converted Jews. Jesus was preaching to what you and I might call converted Jews. 
And when, a few chapters later, Jesus sends out the disciples, we read, Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority. And they went out and preached that the people should repent. They didn't say, come along and hear Jesus. They didn't say, come along and get healed, although they did do some of that as well. What they said was, you've got to repent. The good news still demands a response to Jesus today. A turning from my own way of doing things and a change to follow Jesus. It requires, as Jesus said, for us to repent and believe the good news. Believe with commitment. This is the first Sunday in Lent, as we have been reminded already. What does Lent mean to you? Last Wednesday, the first day of Lent, we read from the Old Testament prophet Joel. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. There's not one person in church this morning who loves the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Oh, we may be filled up with great, meaningful intentions, but we do not love God as we should. And I know in my own heart I don't love my neighbor as I should. Joel wrote, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments, as was the practice in those days. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. My friends, that is true Lent. That is true Lent. For those that have called themselves Christians for years and years and years, and for those of us still thinking about what the Christian life is all about, Jesus, John the Baptist, the disciples, the word of God has only one command. Repent and believe the good news. And it is, as Dennis, our vicar in Highwickham used to say, Jesus is good news. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.